When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 347 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jim Hilton, and back again to help me figure out what's good and what's bad about Barcelona right now is Kevin Williams. How's it going, Kevin? Uh, really well. It's uh, very rainy and uh, gloomy in uh, Chicago here, which is uh, very opposite of the uh, sunlight that's being streamed to our homes by Femini right now, who are wrecking Wolfsburg. Yeah, at, so at, at present moment, it's the 64th minute, so the, the game will end as we're doing this. But I say that Kevin and I, with a lot of humble confidence, are recording this with the Femini up 4 nothing. I think this game is pretty much done and dusted in this first leg at the Camp Nou. So again, as we record this, they're up 4 nothing in the first leg of the UEFA Women's Champions League in front of an absolutely packed-to-the-gills Camp Nou. And they did score within the first three minutes, so it did put me at ease a little bit over an hour ago when they scored in the first few minutes to Aitana Badmani, and then Caroline Graham Hansen, who I know you'd love to talk about here, had her moment in the 12th minute on a pretty pretty good run, just to put that uh, lately. And then Paredes, a goal line block. It could have made it 2-1, but instead Paredes, goal line block, and Peñols, the follow-up save. Then Hermoso gets a third in the 33rd minute in what you consider is the most Barca goal, if you will. A little yes. bit of tiki-taki for you. And then passing through space. And then the fourth goal was the one that I sum up with the Barca Femini, where the opponent has tried to wave the right flag. And Alexi Butea says, no, 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 no. <laughs> one more for good measure. So that one was just right up through the middle, right between the center backs. It's, you know, <laughs> it's going to happen here. And I think, incredibly, in the first half, 
just 54% percent possession. That's but, the weird thing. Yeah, right? but 10 I mean, to 1 attempts on, on target. You know, it was just, it was expected goals. It's just they attack, 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 and do not let their opponents breathe. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think that when people ask me how a Barcelona team is supposed to play, I mean, the men have rarely accomplished that this season. Even, I mean, there are a few moments under Xavi where it's been like, oh yeah, all right, that's sort of how it's supposed to look. But Femini, except for that weird purple patch they had about a month ago where they just mm-hmm. looked tired and kind of off form and pass connecting and you know things were looking all weird and funky i mean they are how i when people were, were to ask me what's barcelona football i'm gonna point them to femini absolutely there's no question about that i mean they're fantastic right now and they're hungry i mean when you win everything one season and the next season you're still playing like you haven't won anything i mean hats off to the managing team there they have that uh, group right now in such an amazing mental and physical state where they're hungry i mean they want everything but they're hungry i just i love watching them i love watching them. yeah there's this thing in sports like the secret of, of victory the, the secret of winning and what makes this team in particular continuing to be so incredible and this is now three years on when they lost that 2019 final to Lyon, it's largely what 60 70 percent of the same players yeah. and a flip was switched there the, the 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 mark became they're behind Lyon. they were bodied off the ball they just they didn't have the physicality they have the mental ed the ruthlessness and now the word that i've been using for two years now is inevitable this team is just yeah. so much more dominant than every team that comes in their path other than as you mentioned the little lulls of fatigue they have when they get tired of destroying teams eight nothing and they have really have been going a hundred percent you know gas on the pedal and part of why Luis Cortez the, the manager who left over the offseason was yeah this team who conquered the world won the treble they still needed a, a new face they still needed some kind of change because to keep up the intensity for this whole season they were going to need a new voice in charge which is insane that you almost burn through a manager year by year with largely the same players but that's what it takes to to stay at this level. And, you know, I, I, I think we'll, we'll do one more point about the feminine and then we'll go over to the men's because unfortunate, not unfortunate, but boring, man. Boring. Well, it's, well it's, that's the interesting thing about the feminine is that they're so dominant that it is hard when I ever bring them up, right? Caroline Graham Hansen, basically the only new thing is that when she wasn't nominated for the Ballon d'Or, she kind of admitted, hey, I, I, I didn't appreciate that you didn't nominate me, even though three of her three of her teammates were in the top five of the voting. So she basically said, I actually, you should have had four or five Barca players out of the five nominees. Anything Absolutely. other than that is crazy, right? And then, so she said that. And then this season, clearly of all the players, like, yes, Alexia still has been the best midfielder in the world. Jenny is still doing her thing. But Caroline Graham Hansen has been on a mission to not only take the Ballon d'Or from Alexia Buteas, but just show everybody that, you know, you've got to nominate me next year. You have to. And that's one of the changes or wrinkles. And then again, I've also enjoyed seeing Claudia Pina and her role increase this year because, again, she's 20 years old and she went on, unlike what I mean, actually, let us say, what I hope happens to Balde and Nico. She's one of the very, very few FC Barcelona players that went on loan. She went to Sevilla last year, banged in a bunch of goals, and actually came back as an improved, more ready player for the first team and is broken and is fit like a glove as that backup striker. And it's one of those things that I wish the men's, another one of the things that I wish the men's team could replicate with this feminine team, just even squad Sorry. management. 
so many things. I mean, you know, and for me, my favorite thing about her, about Tina is she's got a, a block of ice that pumps uh, blood. She's a heartless, bloodless. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, rip your face off and just look at you like, why are you in my way? It's just, it, re- it really is wonderful to see and to you know, recognize that. I mean, like with that, that edge that Gavi, you know, brings to the men, every successful team needs that like that knife edge player where they're just like yeah i I tackled you hard so what deal with it right i mean it's like so she's amazing i just think this team is barring anything weird like a mental let down or a you know series of key injuries to to crucial players they are set for some time and that goal was offside by Wolfsburg. There we go. Wave that flag. Beautiful. So let's switch, I guess, to the uh, boring topic of the men, shall we? <laughs> yeah, What's yeah. I think the next time we'll likely discuss the feminine. They've got the return leg on Saturday the 30th. And then again, most likely, again, there's I think at 98% now by this point on 538 that they are going to go through to meet either PSG or Lyon. And I think most people want to see that rematch with Lyon because I think yes. that not to say that closes the books, but it's a little bit of closure. That will really officially feel like the passing of the torch if if the Femini take it to Lyon and, and conquer the team that has conquered Europe aside uh, Wolfsburg for the last decade. And so that would be the, the final hurdle, if you will, to close that storybook tale. But yes, so let's, let's be a little more dour. I think <laughs> instead of starting with the back line, because I feel like that's going to be the meat of our conversation here, Oof. I want to start with Gabi because I, I think your perspective on Gabi is really interesting. And it was somebody that I didn't speak about really in the match of yesterday. But then the more I considered yesterday and thought about it and saw some of even the metrics on the game, he had in total yesterday 57 pressures, a record for the season for any Barcelona player, and the best since Arturo Vidal. I can't believe you bring up Arturo Vidal, but here we are. Did it 65 times three years ago. He went a total of 14 kilometers and he recovered 13 balls, most of any Barcelona player. And it would kind of struck me a little bit because he was getting a bit of criticism yesterday because very much like the way I criticize, and I put very, very, you know, heavy air quotes on that, the way I criticized Pedri last year because he doesn't truly affect the final third of the field yet. And yes. at 17, that's the thing that I think it's interesting because Barcelona desperately need him and want him to do that now since, and you know, because that immediately... It connects him to the expectations of replacing Pedri, which is unfair to Gabi. But, you know, because he's connected immediately to, hey, as, as in the Barca midfield, you've got to deliver that final ball. Now, that's the expectation we're already putting on Gabi. But when you look at what he's being asked to do, he does exactly what, I mean, any player, regardless of age, 17 or, or 33 for Atari Vidal. That's the player that he's being asked to be, and that is exactly who he's being. So instead of trying to compare him to Pedri, if you... If you understand his role is closer to Rakitic or Vidal, then Pedri actually makes a little more sense. But because he is a, a young Spanish teenager, we kind of have different expectations of who he is. I mean, I, so my thing about Gavi is, you know, Gavi does all those wonderful things. Yes. Um, but watching him during the match, the thing I really want him to get better at is taking that moment with the ball. Mm-hmm. He plays too quickly. And the thing that I mean, when we talk about, you know, what, what Pedri does, right. The thing that he does most, right. And I hate, 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 hate words 
phrases, you know, such as la pause, it's nonsense. But what he does do is makes certain that his actions will be correct. And I think that what Gavi does, that lack of, you know, chill that permeates his game that, you know, he, he brings to everything he does, he also has when he's on the ball. And I mean, that will go away with time. And I hate to grumble about a delightful young player to watch who's going to you know, be with the uh, uh, club for years come as long as they don't mess up that uh, renewal. But yeah, I want to see him getting some, some calm in his game on the ball. Um, there were a number of moments yesterday where he, with another just like breath, would have made the right move with the ball and instead he like banged it away and it was just he's just he's hasty so mm-hmm. that will get better i love his game love what he brings to the you know team and we're talking about you know degrees of excellence here really right so yeah no he's a he's a baller and that team needs that right because i mean they're pretty they're a pretty soft team physically and mentally in many ways. And whenever Gabi's on, you get this sense that they are buttressed by his attitude, that they feed off that pugnaciousness uh, that he brings to everything. And it's fun to watch. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and I think that's certainly something that is going to happen over time. Not that his through balls are going to increase or his key passes. Like the numbers will go up, but they're going to go up because with experience, the game will slow down for him offensively. Yes. And that's what you're seeing now. I mean, all of those, especially like if you watch him when he was 14 playing with the Juvenile Oz, the, the you know, the other, the under 16 or the under 17s, regardless of what age group he was always at, he just dominated the game. The game went at his pace and at his tempo. And it is going to take a little bit of time, obviously, you know, just be patient for him to acclimate to the speed of first division football, or especially those championship nights, because I feel like in those European nights, that's really where Gabi has his least impact when the opposition are the biggest and fastest and their minds are operating the quickest. Like it's when those moments are happening is when I think Gabi loses himself a bit where I actually think in these Liga games, he's been much more consistent. And that's why from game to game, I almost don't bring up Gabi because he, you know, kind of the base level of what you're going to get from him. And he's able to provide that in the Liga matches, regardless of it's Atletico Madrid or it's Real Sociedad or it's, I'm trying to think of another one where he played well, and I, I, I'm not. I'm blanking on a, a third, a third example there where where he was a standout. But the the point is that that Gabi, yeah, I think is consistent in what he provides defensively, which is something that Barcelona obviously desperately needed. But offensively, that'll come along. And again, it's a bit unfair because the question that Barca is asking for this remaining six matches of the season is how do you deal with and how do you win games without Pedri? Because via yeah. Alfa Jose here. Barca has won 89% of their matches this season in the Liga with their best player, 32 of 36 points with 10 wins and two draws, and then only 49% of points without him. That's 28 of 57 points with seven wins, seven draws, and five losses. And when we think of, and I saw the, once I saw that word, Kevin, my stomach sunk because the second I, I saw Pedri de Bencia, I went, oh no, <laughs> because that is a word that's going to be in my life now for what, 11, 12 years. And I just, I didn't want to see it, yeah. but it's, it's different than the Messi thing because Messi, you know, he got them out of trouble and Messi and Pedri has in two different matches gotten three points when Barca were going to get one because he popped up and got a goal, something he doesn't really do. And he decided to be the hero, be the guy, but he just makes everything work. He, he connects the midfield to the to the forward line. He defends like Gabi, but he attacks with the, the, the grace and class and vision of Busquets. And he just does everything right to, to keep everything together and Barca on the front foot. And without them, you know, even Frankie de Young yesterday, he had the most key pass of anybody in that game with three, the most duels with 11. Busquets wasn't bad in that game. And yet 
And yet, in that second half, the line of confrontation was way in Barcelona's half of the field. And Garcia and Langley and that back line were just completely pinned back as well in their own half. And it wasn't that Busquets, De Young, and Gabi did anything wrong, but it's that, that Pedri just has a control over the game. And again, the, ga- the game, just like Gabi at the U17 level, the game goes at Pedri's speed. And he just controls the entire tempo and rhythm of a match. Right. I mean, like, something I said today is that the, the problem with uh, Barcelona is even when they have the ball, they don't have control. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I think that when you think about a team having control over a match and losing that control, I mean, you could see it when Pedri went down with the injury. They lost control. And it, it's something that, I mean, so that linkage player, right? I mean, um, uh, Barcelona has needed that. You know, they needed it when Rafinha was doing it. They needed it when Rakitic was doing it. They need it now that Pedri is doing it. And right now they don't have anyone to do that. And so what happens is you then have to depend on the back line for too much. And while I, you know, yeah, um, uh, Garcia shapes a lovely pass, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it's, it's hard to have your, the last Barcelona def- Defender who I was confident with the ball at his feet was was from Titi before he broke down, right? And that uh, he could drive it forward. He knew what passes to uh, play. He made the necessity for that bridge player less less essential. And now, I mean, you've got PK who's in his um, uh, dotage. Uh, you've got Garcia who makes me nervous every. A time he moves too far outside the box because I know he doesn't have the pace nor the physicality to get back and deal with anything and pick up the chihuahua. How can you miss that? So, I mean, I think that the biggest thing right now, though, we talk about match control, is fullbacks. I mean, Xavi was right in saying Barcelona needs fullbacks. I mean, the fullbacks the team has right now are below European standard. And that includes Jordi Alba. They're all below European standard. And until you rectify that, I just don't see that back line doing anything that it needs to be able to do because once the fullbacks lay out the red carpet uh, for the opposition, I mean, you can have, you know, Christ off the um, cross as your center back and he's going to be vulnerable. So it's it's just, it's it's a major, major problem. And this lack of match control it begins on the flanks and it just becomes worse as the match progresses and the fullbacks get tired and you know the farther forward Alba goes the more more acute that problem becomes and Dast had a moment and maybe he will now that he's back from his latest injury um maybe um he'll regain that form uh but this team needs Fullbacks. I mean, the center backs, you can get by with center backs. I mean, yeah, you'd want someone better than Garcia. You'd want someone more the equal, at least in the neighborhood of uh, Big Arujo. But you can get by with that if your fullbacks aren't grim. I mean, the last fullback, I think that Barca had at that level was Abidal, right? I mean, am I crazy? 
Uh, well, yeah, I am crazy, but well, <laughs> I, just, crazy. I think I think I think Jordi Alba, like using even yesterday as a microcosm of Jordi Alba, like Jordi Alba played that entire game with that groin injury that he should have come off the field, but with Balde having been injured for two years for Barca B and. I mean, needs alone. I mean, he's kind of lost his way and not, not been healthy and it's not progressed the way he was going to. Juan Miranda just wasn't really to the level once he hit about 18, 19 years old. Just yeah. it, it didn't work out for him. And so there have been other examples of left backs having a chance. I mean, Lucas Dinier has gone on to Everton, but it took him as a late bloomer until he was 24, 25 to figure out exactly what he was capable of. And he was never going to get that time at Barcelona. But to me, if Jordi Alba played 70% of games, and was fully fit and was subbed off occasionally. I think what Jordi Alba can still provide you is fine, but he has been overstretched and there are just there's not only too many minutes on those legs, but there are times when, especially in the Copa del Rey, when Alba is in second gear. And I think there's so many times that because of the number of minutes he plays and his importance and the lack of competition, that he winds up being in second gear out of self-preservation because he just isn't going to come off the field for any reason. Because again, even yesterday, who were, who are you going to put in that game? It would have been Dest on the left side. You would have had to put Araujo. Well, no, Araujo went down the game too. So who are you going to even move over to the right back when Danny Alves went out, right? It just becomes a quick mess. And now all of a sudden, Nico Gonzalez is your third, fourth string right back. And that tells you that it's not even the, to me, it's more worrying, not even the top level of your outside backs, but the depth of that fullback chart is is completely nothing. And, you know, one of the things that Barca, I think Kuhis are going to have to understand for next season as Barca, Alexi Puteas gets a brace here. So what Barca and Kuhis are going to have to understand next season is that I always tell people, pick like seven names of a 25-man squad and maybe, quote-unquote, get them out of my club. But pick like seven of the 25 or nine of the 25 if you're if like the club really has a big overhaul or something and could send guys out on loan or something. And then pick like five players or six players that could potentially brought in and make sure you put numbers next to those. Because that's the whole thing about like overhauling the squad. Like Barcelona can't get rid of Alba, Alves, and Dest. And unfortunately, I think it's going to be the young one in Dest who's going to be the one sold. And you're going to have 39-year-old Danny Alves and and what 34 year old Jordi Alba next season and so and the same problem right right so I got a positive conspiracy theory theory for you here Kevin I think because Barcelona is what are we saying 98 percent officially out of Holland Gate you know they're 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 they're, he's going to Man City it's pretty much done and dusted meaning Barcelona have dodged the Real Madrid Holland bullet and if you see him you see him in the Champions League group stage or the final like you only see him at max three times a season which is Fine by me, <laughs> you know, playing for Man City. Fine by me. I think that Barcelona, because of the fullback market, like we we heard Kessier pretty early, and, you know, the other free agents have been known, Christensen or whatever. To get a fullback, you've got to go out and you've got to pay for them. And we've heard Gaia because he plays for Valencia quite a bit, but he's renewing, he's our club captain, it's going to be difficult to get him. And I think that other than Sosa from Stuttgart, we heard, we, of course, Grimaldo has existed in the, in the world, but... Playing play for Benfica, no, he's, gonna be, he's gonna be well. He's also gonna be so overpriced. Benfica, they're a 1.5 market hike basically every time because any Benfica player, based on their previous history on the transfer uh, market, I mean, look at even Darwin Nunez. He's he's projected to go for maybe 20 million more than he might actually be worth. So Benfica is gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be really pricey to bring Gamalda. And so now all of a sudden we're talking about Sosa from Stuttgart and. Fullback is such a difficult position because if you're good enough, you're not playing fullback anymore. You're going to be adapted to a midfielder. And there just aren't enough high-level fullbacks, not even anymore, 
But the importance, as you mentioned, of fullbacks in modern football, you've got to have an elite one. And other than Joao Cancelo, and I mean, the, the list really does get very narrow. It's why I still argue that Jordi Alba is not an elite set, uh, left back. I agree with you. But also, good luck naming five better fullbacks in world football than Jordi Alba, which is actually a difficult thing to do, at least at least offensively and like 25% defensively. But he's still one of the top three offensive fullbacks in the world in numbers and metrics and all those different things and how he affects a game. But yeah, defensively, of course, he's... He's not anywhere near right. the top and 30, of so course. Your, and your fullbacks have to defend, right? And correct, the correct. other thing about Alba is he's psychologically soft. I mean, mm. when you get a big match, he's not going to show up. And for me, you're, in terms of setting the, the tone and setting the mood, your veterans are supposed to be the ones that do that. When the most vital player on your your team is a guy whose testicles have barely dropped you know you, you got some problems yeah i mean, I mean you know it, it's i want to throw in a compliment to pk because clearly yesterday in that first half when barcelona were under pressure for the first 10 minutes of that match before the goal was scored pk was clearly the difference there was a, a huge difference between eintracht frankfurt uh, the second leg and and Cadiz, and then we also see that because barcelona would have conceded with Garcia and Lengle in those first 10 minutes. Easy. It would yes. have happened. It would have easily happened. But PK and was the difference. He gets Araujo where he needs to be and says, Araujo, do your thing, right? And the positioning is correct. He's commanding that back line. And he even, you know, Ter Stegen had one of his best games in a long, long time. And I think it has something to do with PK starting in front of him. So let me just the, the think about the conspiracy. And again, this is me being, I think, the ever the optimist. I think Barca are far along. And, you know, with Barca, a lot of, a lot of information always sneaks out. But we have seen with the transfer window, Alamani has been a little bit better at keeping things under wrap. We have not heard as many things about transfers, at least truth in transfers, that we heard for Bartomeu's regime, where every player that Bartomeu and his group were going after, we did actually know about them two or three months, which is easier for me to make content for, but it's also not great because then those market, you know, those market values are going up as Barca is being linked with them but there's truth to that link, as opposed to every 18-year-old kid who gets a new agent, and the new agent's like, hey, Bart's is looking at my client. And I'm like, are they? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. How many 18-year-olds can they look at? But I, I do think that Barca have lined up at least one fullback who might be able to play on both sides. And I think we don't know their name because if you heard their name, their market value will go up, and they're going to be a little bit too pricey. I think Barca is looking to spend on at least one fullback who can play on either side, between 25 and 35 million euros. And that's going to be, quote unquote, one of their big splashes over the summer. But they're trying to get that business done before that name becomes public, when it becomes a race, if you will, before PSG. Because, I mean, PSG is in a point, I mean, in their transfer whatevers, that if they find out, if they get wind that Barcelona are, are linked with somebody, they're going to blow it up. That's just, that's what they do. They're, they're, they're going to do it. And they, even if they have Nuno, uh, Nuno Mendez, who's been phenomenal, and they've got Hakimi on the other side, they just, they, they, they want to make sure that Barca cannot do business properly because they just, they're still mad about everything. <laughs> you know, it's just what it is, yeah. even though they, they took everybody. And they're, they're, these top clubs are just trying to fool each other in the transfer window. So I, I don't know. Do you think there's any credence to that? I just think, I actually have a little bit of faith in Alemani that he is starting to line up those fullbacks. But again, in the same way, when I look at that list of who is an elite fullback in world football, I, I wouldn't even know who to tell you who they're linked with. I mean, it's short. And look, I mean, the thing you have to do is, you know, you have to take a shot on a project. I mean, the thing, like, I mean, so. I mean, that's what Dest was. 
right? I mean, Death was kind of he was the back yeah, of the but, but yeah, I'm gonna Death defend Death about it, you know that. right? <laughs> I mean, the thing of and the guy he was, you know, starting behind is going to Bayern. So I feel like I don't feel like uh, Barcelona values it, it's there is a weird arrogance to me in the way the club approaches the game and transfers right i think that there is still this belief right that a you know coterie of catalan midgets will be able to outdo everybody in the world and you know you get a player like pedri and people go yeah see but they forget that Pedri is a mutant, right? You still need people to be able to stop the ball. When you look at the way of opponents counter, I mean, Barcelona simply you know, can't stop the ball. They can't. And they, they can't because everybody is too slow. And you look at, so it's, it's the uh, links are getting stronger and stronger that uh, uh, Real Madrid is about to lock down Chomey. And to think about a, a player like that right, in the Barcelona midfield <laughs> you know, is just would be absurd. And the thing is, the, the, the club thinks, oh, we're fine. We have these players, but none of them can run and shut down a counter. If the ball you know, passes within leg reach of, of Busquets, yeah, he'll stop it. Um, but if he has to move to stop it, forget it, right? Gavi's, when he presses, yeah, great. Um, he's not shutting anything down with pace and or physicality. I mean, you have to have, with modern football, you have to have athletes. And there's no two ways around that. And you look at what Madrid is doing. I mean, they're going to get uh, Bappe either this season or next. They got uh, Camavinga who is rounding into being exactly the kind of a player I thought he would. And then they're going to quite possibly throw in Chomeni, right? And it's just, I mean, they have Mendy at one fullback. They'll have to solve the other fullback side. But, I mean, uh, they have athletes. And so when you look at where they are in Champions League and what they did in matches, and, yeah, they had an elite finisher in Benzema but I mean their their athletes made plays right I mean the thing about uh, Barcelona is they need you you shouldn't need 32 passes to make a goal and they still do and it's frustrating to watch because when you look at all these teams and you know Frankfurt ran them off the pitch just ran them off the pitch (laughs) they got to to every 50 50 won every physical confrontation. Their counters were fast. Everything was faster with that team, faster and more physical. And when you look at the kind of intensity that you need to have, and yes, you can have, you know, Catalan midgets doing it if those players are among the best uh, uh, players in history, right? I mean, if you, you know, but you should need Xavi and Iesta, Messi, right, to do that. And that's the, the problem right now is that uh, Barcelona still have this way of thinking about the game that 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 isn't modern. Yeah. And it's frustrating to watch. And, and that way of thinking, I think, governs them in the market also. I mean, well, that's why I wonder, like, what Xavi's role and 
the conversations he'll be able to have about the players that he wants because it is really telling. And I'm going to, I'll speak my piece about the forward line and then I'm going to give you carte blanche on the Dembele stuff because I think it's really telling the way that of all the players that have been complimented by Xavi, and I think it also has to do with something with PR and trying to convince Dembele in public to renew, but the fact that Xavi has attached himself to the significance and power of Dembele at Barcelona and just how good he can be. And then you also look at some of the players that apparently Xavi has signed off on in Christensen, in Kessier. It, it, there is a different flavor to the players that it seems like Xavi is asking for and that he wants. And I think the way, and I've heard Xavi talk about tactics too, and the idea, like the, the way that he emphasizes pressure, the way that he em- emphasizes his number nine, he wants him to be obviously a goal scorer and a poacher, but not a poacher like Martin Brothwaite, but he wants his number nine to be a poacher because Barcelona, in his in his worldview, is turning the opposition over in their final third consistently. Yes. Consistently. That high interior, whether it's Gabi or Pedri, whoever that left high interior is, is supposed to be the other one, basically creating this little mini box of four with two midfielders behind, and then the center forward and the one, uh, the, again, one of the high interiors, and the other higher interior coming in to be almost in this rest defense number 10 role. And that is ideally where Xavi wants his forwards and midfielders to set up to turn the opponent over constantly, constantly. And so it's not even a poacher that he wants, a guy who can only score in the box like Luke de Young. No, he wants obviously a number nine who can run on the ball, has some athleticism. But I mean, and that's why Aubameyang has scored, what is it? Yeah, nine goals in 11 games and is now matched Memphis for for productivity here this season in just coming in January because Aubameyang at least had the base level skill set and understanding of what Xavi won in his nine. And what's interesting is why that quote unquote upgrade for Aubameyang is still necessary is because if you bring in a player who does what Aubameyang does, and that is pressure, work hard, has some speed, can go out onto the wing when necessary, collect the ball there, and is again gonna gonna fight and then also is a finisher. But it's also, but if you can also replace it with a player who, unlike yesterday in that second half, when Aubameyang, his first touch, absolutely let the team down. In no way was he a release valve that Barcelona needed. He just would consistently turn the ball back over, and he was not the player that, with his back to goal, that Barca needed him to be. And he also, again, over the course of that game, and we've seen it. In January, he came like a bat out of hell, but clearly his age has caught up a little bit with him in the last two or three months. And whether it was having been on the sideline for a while, not fully, fully fit, he slowed just a bit, especially in the second halves of games. And it's necessary for Xavi to take him off. So you understand why if Barcelona can find a player that kind of combines what Luke de Jong gives you and finishes when Barcelona turns you over in the final third, when they've been controlling a match and they have the ball so much more, Luke de Jong can finish in the ways that we've seen the best of Luke de Jong. And then you also have what Aubameyang does well, and that is relentlessly run and put the t- the opposition under constant pressure and even if he's not the guy touching the ball to get that turnover he's the one who's leading to the pressure that gets the turnover and the other thing happened yesterday in the second half was that Barca weren't getting those turnovers even if Ferran Torres, Dembele and Aubameyang just like that stat with Gabi that front four if you will was pressuring was pressuring we also see that a ton but we also see Dad is a talented team. And I, I kind of got really frustrated with, I'm going to call out ESPN FC here a little bit for a second. I did stick in for the post-game stuff, and they were really critical of Barcelona in a way that I didn't understand. Because yes, Barca were not controlling that match. Yes, they kind of lost the ball. And yes, we also see Dad kind of took advantage. 
But Bialystok State Dad also has a player in Zubamendi who people were asking me after the match, is he a good candidate to replace Busquets? And I, I direct them right to that 20-minute YouTube video I did about Zubamendi, I think was seventh on my list or something, of players that could potentially come in and serve in a role as a pivot. And yeah, Zubamendi is really good. Mikel Moreno has been a top 10 midfielder in, in La Liga for the last two seasons. And we have to give Bialystok State Dad just a little bit of credit for having the skill and talent on the ball because I thought... We also had that first half, and the ref kind of lost the game too. They kicked the living daylights out of Barcelona. But when they actually settled down and were a little bit less physical with Barca, and just, let's say they were more physical than Barca, but less physical than they were in the first half, yeah. they really controlled the match there. Because we also see a dad when they remember that they have the talent and skill to kind of almost go toe-to-toe with many of what Barcelona has. And that's, again, said nothing about Barcelona, but more that we also see dad is six in the Liga for a reason. They were fighting for the top four for the last two seasons for a reason. They're just, they're a good team. And for Dembele, Ferran Torres, and Aubameyang, you see that, you know, Dembele is the right winger that, that Xavi wants. And Ferran Torres does a lot of good things, but surely this team still misses. Wait, wait, wait. I don't want to see. No, no. I said that because I don't want to argue with you about Ferran Torres. So I'm going to let you do the positive about Dembele. I don't want to do the Ferran Torres thing again. I'm tired of it. But you understand how Ansu, whether he's playing on the left wing or he's at the number nine, or you, again, bring in another player to play, you know, just a, a number nine, like a sheer good goal-scoring number nine who's going to be able to run and put the other team under pressure. Those are the two pieces that are truly missing up top to be able to finish things off and relieve you of the pressure that Real Sociedad was able to put on Barcelona in that second half. I mean, yeah, that's why I reference, you know, being able to control the match, right? When you feed Obama Yang a, a, a ball, it bounces off those cinder blocks he has for feet and goes right back to the opposition. <laughs> there's, there's no mass control, right? And you need your nine, right? Your player in the middle to be able to bring that ball down, keep his back to the man guarding him, hold it, and make the right decision with it. It's something that Luis Suarez could do for he turned in uh, what I'll slug on us. It's something that your nines have to be able to do this, especially in that uh, Barcelona system, especially late in the match when you're you know, trying to ride it out. You, you can't have the ball bouncing off your forwards feet all the time. I mean, it's frustrating to watch. And I mean, I, I, for me, I think that Xavi will have to figure out what to do. My guess is that he moves Torres to the middle once Faki comes back. Right. And I think that you have the thing, though, is, I mean, we won't see that, you know, Fatih, Torres, um, Dembele front line next year because Dembele is gone. Right. And so then he has to solve the problem of what to do on that right wing. It's not um, Atrari, who I, I think his well-used seat on the bench makes that um, uh, very clear. And people who think that rough. Finia at um, Leeds is that uh, player have not watched that that player enough. I mean, you have the major major problem that the Barcelona have has right will have is that they will be losing an a truly elite winger for free, yeah. and there's no one to replace him. You know, there's no one, and yes, you can uh, say all the things he you know doesn't score enough goals blah blah etc right i mean that's not never been a goal that's not like it's it's function yeah yeah, to understand xavi's tactics you have to understand function so much more 
than even end product. Like, what is a player meant to do? And I actually thought Ferran Torres was good yesterday when he was dropping into the middle. He would make this, like, looping run from the left wing into the middle, receive, and then his sole job was to get that ball over to the right wing to Dembele for a 1v1 situation. When he was combining and he's that, like, almost continuation piece to Dembele because that's Dembele's function then to get up there. And then Ferran Torres, what do you do next? You come into the bo- the box, and even though he's not a great finisher, Ferran Torres still is the number one goal-plus assist getter for FC Barcelona this year, and he came in January. So I will always defend Ferran Torres. That if he is your number one attacker, yeah, of course you have a problem. But if you line him up behind Ansu and behind Dembele, you've got Pedri in your midfield, and you bring in a number nine, Ferran Torres makes a ton of sense in this FC Barcelona team. He is nowhere a star, but if he is your third or fourth attacker, you're in a good place. You've got a good attacking force. And so I, I always defend Ferran Torres in the same way that I defend a lot of the transfers that come in, that if you think that he is who he isn't, then you're going to have a problem. If you thought Adama Traore was someone else that he wasn't, then you're going to have an issue, right? But Adama Traore, I still stick by it that, he, you know, he has fallen out of favor, but also because Dembele has been otherworldly since. And if Dembele still wasn't otherworldly, I think Adama Traore would be doing an okay job. But he, And by that, I mean he'd be doing what he was brought in to do which is maybe pick up a few assists, which he had more this season, even in his time with Barca, in a month than he had for the last year and a half. So still, Adama Traore, it's, 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 I go back to the January stuff. Ferran Torres, to me, has exceeded expectations. I know people at $55 million had a lot of expectations for him, but it does cost, for a 21-year-old forward who plays for the Spanish national team, it's going to cost $55 million. That's what the market is. Yeah. And so, but my expectations for Ferran Torres... I think he's just barely exceeded them. I think in terms of Aubameyang, he is obviously far exceeded. Even though he can't hold the ball up, what were we expecting him to do? We were expecting him to turn this, help this turn this team around from 10th to 2nd in the table. He did that. As well as Danny Alves has exceeded expectations because he's come in. He has certainly looked 38 defending, but he has brought a calm to that midfield when he possesses. And when Barca is on the front foot in La Liga, Danny Alves is controlling and just positioning between he and Alba has been superb, even though physically, again, he just can't do it anymore. And then Adama Traore, yeah, he exceeded his numerical expectations, and then he found himself on the bench because of Usman Dembele. So all four guys still, to me, I, I like it's not revi- one week of poor football is not revisionist history to me. I think Real Sociedad doesn't like completely put them back on the right foot, but talking about the big picture here, you know, as I'm sitting through those 10 minutes of extra time yesterday, which is a complete joke. I mean, absolute joke, 10 minutes of extra time. Also, by the way, if you're, if, if the team that knocks and kicks the living daylights out of the team that is now the victim of 10 minutes, right? The team that's winning is the one that has to play 10 extra minutes because the opposition kicked the living daylights out of them. That's the joke to me. Like, it's like, you shouldn't reward a team for for, for knocking out three of the four players of a back line and, and get rewarded for that. But, uh, you know, but, but the big picture is three points at Real Sociedad deserve some credit. I, you know, I, and I know it wasn't beautiful football, but the point was this team is now trying to suffer and survive for just six matches more, with one game in hand, by the way, they're trying to survive six more matches, finish second in the table, and end this godforsaken season, and reboot everything in the offseason, and be ready to go. And I again, like, I'm not in any way for the last two weeks upset about where Barcelona is on their road back to glory, if you will. No, I mean, I think I've, I've written this before. This team is roughly where it should be right now. It's, you know, it it is what it is. People took issue with my saying Barcelona is a Europa League squad, but they are right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, they are. And I think that Frankfurt showed that, you know, they're a, 
they're they are a now they are a few players away from being a Champions League squad again. But the biggest change they're going to have to make is the mentality of the squad. It's to, I mean they never recovered from that first Frankfurt goal. Yeah. No, which, right? which is absurd and, because they, they got like they punched Real Madrid straight in the face and they kept punching him. They punched Atletico Madrid. <laughs> they punched Sevilla. And, you know, Kevin, I really did. I thought, you know, I, I had said that that first, you know, that big Real Madrid wasn't a big European night. But to go to their house and win for nothing was one of the brightest signs that we've seen in a long time that like, hey, this this they were nervous. There was a big game and this team had the mentality to go do that. But yeah, then the minute they get punched, the minute they just get nicked in the, it's it's right. like that, it's like the uh, the old Monty Python, like where it was just one little nick in the the whole house, or, or like Achilles' heel, right? And then just, and then for two weeks we're, we're in this doldrum of, did this team lose everything they had? And they did lose Pet. And that is the thing. So that's when I castigate the veteran for leadership. That's what I mean. That can't happen. I mean, they yes. You know, Frankfurt ran them off the, but I mean, you know, people are, people will let that final, you know, those two goals deceive them. They shouldn't. That match was over. And for me, I think, so what I always think about, right, is what I would do if I was king of the world, right? And the thing I would do with uh, Barcelona is I wouldn't have let Masraoui um, um, uh, go to Bayern. I would have hijacked the uh, Chomeni deal. Because, I mean, he's, is, he is going to cost roughly what Ferran Torres cost, right? Yeah, six, and, I've seen 60, yep, so 55, yeah. yep, yep, yep. And then, I mean, I would get Nice on the phone and see what Tadebo feels about, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, so I feel like those three players, right, would cost less... They probably cost about ninety million, right? Yeah. Because you figured Nice would, you know, probably sell Steve for like twenty-five, right? Yeah. You know, those three players. First of all, you now have a, a playmate with Arujo on the uh, back line, but you have one who's much better on the ball. Yeah, I don't know if he'd come back though, Kevin. Like as much like the interview he did recently, like what a few months ago about like his time at Barcelona. It's like. I could see him going to any other big club, yeah. if you will, than coming back to Barca. I just, I'm as disappointed as you. Listen, I was a Tadiba believer as well, but yeah, I just, but, right? I but think those, those bridges. three profiles would solve so many problems, right? Because suddenly you've got a center back who can uh, drive the ball forward, not via long pass, but via what from TTs to do, right? So, but I mean, none of those moves will happen what we're left with is and frankly who is leaving is almost as important as who's coming in yeah i think if they start next season with sergio busquets as their nailed on starter in the pivot i'll just throw up my hands because i mean they yeah. they will have learned nothing yeah and, and that's how i felt about both the christensen and kessier moves where it's like i get what you're trying to do but also, like I've said a billion times, and people, you've seen it, Kevin. Like, I feel like I was one of the first people to say this, but like Bubakar Kamara from Marseille is sitting out there, and he's just a more natural six that yeah. was almost a like for like replacement. And that was my confusion, where it's like you have like Kessier, he does a lot of things. And I had a whole show with the AC Milan guys. They ex- he's cheap. He's cheap. Right. He's right. Cheap. And, they, and they explained why he'll fit. He won't. 
He won't detract from the team. If anything, he's going to add a lot of depth to the midfield. He's most likely just going to take Nico Gonzalez's spot for rotation. So just Nico is probably, right, so probably going to get loaned out, and then you're going to bring in Kessier. And then again, Christensen is like, fine. You know, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea people seem to love him. And then the minute they knew he was coming to Barca, they've really, you know, heaped on him. And he's also had a, a few a few poor weeks as well. But like, yeah, Christensen, you're right. That's the thing. Like, to deeper to Christensen, is there a big difference? Not really. But Barcelona, if they had an option to choose one or the other, they picked the wrong one. Again, Kamara or Kessier. I mean, Chuamani even disqualified because I, I think like, Again, $55 million for a midfielder is something that the club doesn't feel like they, they want to spend right now. But so, so, yeah, I mean, so it's like they had A or B, and it's like, I mean, A is fine. A will is a, it'll fill you up. That's the meal. You know, you got a good meal. But, you know, B could have been the thing that you want to rave about and come back to the restaurant for. And I, I just feel like, yeah, and I, I feel like that's what Barca's going to have to do when they lose Dembele on the wing, too. It's going to be like, could they have renewed him for one or two million more a year? Could they have bitten the bullet and kind of ruffled the feathers on their salary wage structure for just him and see what else they could do? Because again, if you don't bring in a Holland to completely break that wage structure, like you know, they were going to do anyway, right? Right, I mean, they were going to do so, right, and then whatever whoever you bring in for Dembele is going to be diet Dembele. It's I mean that's what's going or they're going to try to have to do their best Dembele impression. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a tough problem, but something we'll continue to have to see work out. Again, I my conspiracy theory is that Marte, uh, Matteo Alemani, for what he did in January, I at least need to give him the credibility to even if he has the you know constraints of all these free transfers by getting out of the Holland fight and in theory freeing up that money. I am interested to see what Matteo Alemani does with those quote unquote funds, and we'll see how exactly how many of those funds there are. I think there's what about seventy five total million euros available to put everything I together. See, I mean, I I don't know that that money really existed. I think that you know that money was you know Big John bigging up. Yeah, I don't think that they were ever going to bring Holland. I think that once they learned the real number that was going to be required to bring him. They were like, same with keeping messy. Now we're out, can't do it, right? So I don't think that money is there. I think that, you know, they will have, uh, you know, a couple of value players. Now, obviously, it'll also depend on who leaves. But, you know, the biggest thing is you're losing your highest value player for nothing. Right. (laughs) And... You know, that is is brutal, frankly. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, you've got a, a player who right now you could get 90 or 100 million for easy, right? I mean, given the state of the market right now. Right. I mean, his fitness uh, problems have seemingly been resolved, right? Hopefully. And he is one of the best wingers in the game. Right. Yeah, and, and how they handle the Sergio Roberto renewal is, oh is well, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think, and but everyone kind of agrees. Like the only ones that I've I've really seen defend Barcelona potentially renewing him are the Catalan journalists who are kind of saying like, oh, you can't lose a leader like this. He's a captain. You know, he can play. His versatility allows to play the midfield or the right back spot. But you know, Kessier was that guy signed for the midfield, and in theory, you keep Dest and have him be the backup right back, or because he can play left back and right back. So. If Des is your third center back, I mean your third outside back who can play both sides, and Kessier is your fourth midfielder, then you're fine, right? Like that's they already have that. Like what do they need Sergio Roberto for? It seems it seems like his skill set and his role in the team is redundant. Like Barca have enough 
guys who are going to come off the bench in a Champions League final. They don't need another one. They need somebody to start the game. So yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's frustrating to watch. And I think that the biggest uh, problem the club has right now is they have these these players who are security blankets and where they can't let go, right? I mean, Sergio Roberto, Danny, all this. If you're going to revamp your team, right, then revamp uh, that uh, uh, squad. And, you know, coming out of a year like this one, where they're going to finish second or third in league, they'll be out of Europa League, be back in Champions League next year. But, I mean, Xavi is still, I th- think, two to three seasons away from having this 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 team where he wants it. Yeah. I, like, and, I, he's the one person in this whole process that I trust. Like, I still, like, I the way he's utilized players, the way he speaks about certain players, I just think Xavi knows what he's doing. And I think he's earned, even though this whole idea that, you know, we'll, we'll end here, but I heard this stat this week. In 30 games, Xavi has achieved a 16 victory that has success rate of 53%, which is which is worse than Kuman at 58%, but also the lowest percentage of games won since Charlie Rayshak in, in 2002, who who had won 50% of games. But it's <laughs> not only have they the games he won taken them from 10 to 2, and he's other than the Europa League in the last week, he's won all the games he's needed to win, including, again, Real Madrid 4 nothing. the kind of wins that you look back and say, oh, that was a terrible season, and then somebody reminds you, but wasn't that the season we beat 4 nothing? Real Madrid at Santiago Bernabeu, and those things are going to exist in the same world. But this team is clearly turned around. Like, that stat, you know, I'm a numbers guy, but also that stat means zilts to me. Nothing to me. This team is completely turned around. And again, like, you can call me some disciple of Xavi because I, I stood up for his tactics before he arrived at Qatar. But I, I think for me, it's going to... I told people, it talk to me in 2024, then I'm out on Xavi. Like, I think that that's... It's going to take a lot of something going wrong for me to get off this bandwagon because especially with Xavi dealing with, like, turning PK and Busquets to a point to what they he returned them to shows you that if he was able to get his, you know, the sacred cows up to the level that he needed to turn this team around, then certainly if he's going to bring in his new free agents or guys that he's choosing to sign, young talents who are going to want to play for Xavi, I, I, I have to wait for development. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be mad until Fatih's been healthy for a year or two. I mean, not even fully healthy, but I want to see Xavi coach Ansu Fati for a season. I want to see Gabi for a year and a half more under Xavi. Then I'll start to hit the the, the, the code red. I, I think the more concerning thing is if the team did what you, you said, and if they just continue to get, you know, option 1B, or, you know what I mean? Like if they continue to go out in the transfer market and do that, it's going to A, be an understanding that the club maybe financially can't go after in wage-wise who they want to go after, right? Like maybe they can't go after Kamara because his starting number is two times what Kessier asked. And they just said, okay, great, Kessier, we got another midfielder, right? We've, we've, we've lined it up. And if that's the case, then still give me another two years for the club to financially get itself right. And then and that's where we're going to be able to have conversations about proper, proper squad building. But, you know, I, I'm just optimistic, Kevin. So final word to you. So I think that the biggest mistake the the club is making right now is they are letting Dembélé go. I, I think that's a huge yeah. mistake. And I think it's a huge mistake because, I mean, the, the real numbers are real, right? Real rumored numbers I heard was that the uh, club was at eight and Dembélé was at ten. Yeah. And with with Arujo, they 
compromised. And my my guess is that his salary with bonuses won't be far off what his camp was seeking, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Shabby Ball took off when a fit Dembele came back. And you you can't ignore that. And people will, and people will say, and they have several long time, oh, you just um, uh, love him. No, I don't. But you'd have to be blind not to see the difference he makes on the pitch. Yeah. And so to let that player go on a free, I understand holding line on salaries, but I think that if he walks away for free, then you have this massive impediment that you have to solve. You know, Shabby yeah. Ball has lost this thing. I I love what Shabby's done. My only questions about him have been answered, which is, you know, could he manage a European level team, right? I mean, yeah, yes, he can. I mean, technically, there was no doubt. Um, management skills, there was doubt. Those have been sorted. Xavi will be at the club for at least three more seasons, and I suspect that at the end of that tenure will be the uh, best Barcelona that we will have seen since Luis Enrique. Since 2015, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's like that's, now we're now we're talking like nine ten years. So all right, Kevin. Well, <laughs> we're we're getting there. So we're getting there. So thanks so much. Ah. Follow Kevin Williams on Twitter. Certainly, he's a great follow on Twitter. Down in the show notes below, hit that. And then we're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod for me, Hilton D thirteen for me rather. And then close Facebook group, Patreon, YouTube. You know where to find us. If you're still with us at this point, you know where to find us already. So most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And force the Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.